Can I just say this morning on behalf of both you and me, everybody here in the room, that in and of ourselves, the truth is we don't have all that much to brag about. But when it comes to Jesus, Bethesda, there is so much to brag about. We can't possibly boast enough in the Lord, brag enough about who he is and what he has done. Can I, is anybody with me on that this morning? Well, when Paul makes that statement that I've referenced in Corinthians, he's actually quoting, uh, Paul's actually quoting from Jeremiah Chapter 9, where Jeremiah says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things declares the Lord. We have so much to boast in the Lord because he does so many wonderful things. Those of you who were here on this past Wednesday night heard the report from the crusades conducted by Stephen and the Light of Life group who went to recently to Nicaragua. Well, it was a very dramatic story of what took place right before the eyes, right in front of a couple of our young people who were on this trip. Pastor Shaler was also witness to what happened, and I, I'm going to convey it as best I understand. I, I wasn't there. They were. I've heard them tell the story. But here's what I understand happened. There was a man who appeared to be demon-possessed who emerged, and he had a tattoo of Satan on the cheek of his face here. And they tell me that as Jesus was being worshipped and the name of Christ was being exalted, that this demoniac man would manifest in all kinds of strange ways as they are prone to do, and several men tried to restrain him. And I'm told that what Stephen did in leading the service, because I'm sure this was a disruption, is that Stephen just simply led the, the people in repeating the one word that is universal in every language. It's the word that everybody understands. It's the word with meaning and purpose that is unmistakable. We all get it. Halal, praise, Yah, God. The word is hallelujah. Can you say it here this morning? You know, church, it's the word that you can whisper in the quiet of your own heart when you have a, a moment that you simply think about the Lord. Oh, when I think about the Lord and all that he's done for me, there ought to be a hallelujah that comes to your lips at that time. It's also that same word that you can shout with your hands raised and your voice lifted when every fiber of your being is so full of praise. And I know you understand what I'm talking about when there's just, it's so, you're almost quivering with, with excitement, with a sense of praise that's within you. Thank God for that word. Very, very grateful for it. So that night at the crusade in Nicaragua with, with thousands of people lifting up their hallelujah, the man who was filled with evil spirits was touched and prayed for by people who were filled with the Holy Ghost. And that same man whose behavior was wild and erratic became calm and subdued as Jesus delivered him and the evil spirits were cast out. Bless the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm so thankful that Jesus is still the great deliverer. And as if that weren't enough, those of you those who were here Wednesday night, you heard this story, that those young people who were standing there watching this man, when he began to lift his voice in praise to the mighty God, they watched his face as that tattoo of Satan began to fade and fade and fade and fade until it was completely gone. Who has a hallelujah in this house today? I just want to remind us all, there is no power 
I said there is no power that can stand before the presence of the great I am. I don't know what you do with that story or how you categorize that, but I call that a miracle. So what do we do when God performs a supernatural work like that? How do we respond to a sovereign act of the Almighty? Well, you may say, you know, Dan, I, I, I haven't seen any kind of supernatural act like that, or I, I haven't seen anything that even comes close to what would be the miraculous. And I would respond to you by simply saying this, are you breathing here this morning? Is your heart beating in your chest? Do you have ears to hear what I'm saying to you right now? Do you have eyes to watch these screens? Are you living on a planet that has been hung in space on nothing? We can't even hang a feather on nothing. He has hung the planets on nothing. Let me tell you something. If you understand that's true for you, then my friend, you are a miracle. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Most of us in this room know what it is to be walking in our sin and yet experience the forgiveness of Christ by his work on the cross of Calvary. We now walk in light and no longer in darkness. We now walk in freedom and no longer in bondage. And we have the assurance of eternity in heaven. That, my friends, is a miracle. Don't tell me you haven't seen a miracle. You have. Look in the mirror. You're a miracle yourself. It's a supernatural work of grace. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. But the question to us this morning is this. What's our response to the miraculous? How do you and I react to the supernatural work of grace? What do we do after, after God has done what he does? I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture that examples for us what happens when we don't respond properly to the hand of the Lord and his working in our lives. We're going to talk about a king called Hezekiah. If you'll turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. How many of you remember when you were a kid and your parents were really trying to get your attention, they would use your full name? Okay? Anytime I heard this, James Daniel, I knew it was not going to be a time of blessing. I, I knew that something, you know, without a doubt, I'd better pay attention. I was probably in, in trouble, but I'd certainly better listen up. And I, I have to confess to you, because I know if I don't say it, somebody in this room will, that that same kind of behavior has been known to take place from time to time around our church office. Brent Allen? Priscilla Ann? Shayla Ryan? Michael James? Joshua Carl? I've got all those names. It's my loving way of saying, get in here right now. we got something to talk about right now. And honestly, it, most of the time it works. It really works when you need some immediate response. They certainly, they certainly snap too. Well, you know what? The Bible does a similar thing with us. That not by shouting out your first name and your middle name and your last name, but the Bible does it by repetition. Saying the same thing to us, maybe even in different books of the Bible. When the Bible wants to give you something of incredible importance, it will repeat it over and over and over. You'll find the same information in the Bible in several places. Well, that's the case with this passage that I'm going to read to you from 2 Kings chapter 20. I will tell you now, and I may reference it in, in just a moment. You'll also find it in 2 Chronicles 32. Not only there, but the, the Holy Spirit saw fit to also put it in Isaiah chapters 38 and 39. So when the Bible gives us narrative in three locations, it might as well be shouting out our first, our middle, and our last name, and we'd better listen up. And our passage today is about King 
Hezekiah who didn't do his job after God did his. Let me, let me read it. 2 Kings chapter 20. You can follow along. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill, and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. <clears throat> this is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. Other versions say, and we are more familiar with the phrase, set your house in order. How many know if the doctor ever says to you that, was that phrase, set your house in order, it's probably not good news. But that's what the Lord says to you. It's saying to King Hezekiah, set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. And then he broke down and he wept bitterly. But before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, now understand what's happening. Isaiah's already taken off. He's, 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 left, he's left Hezekiah. He's, he's headed out the door. But before he even left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. And the Lord told Isaiah, go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. How many of you would agree with me that would be a miracle? Can I just say, this is a great point, place for me to say, this is why we believe in prayer. I mean, look what happened. Why I so strongly encourage all of us to join in corporate prayer. Yes, your individual prayer time is extremely valuable and vital to your spiritual life, but there's something to be said when the church comes together in corporate prayer. That's why I encourage you always to meet with us at 6 o'clock on, on, on Sunday night, because here's what I believe. Prayer changes things. I call my mother every Sunday morning as I'm driving from my house to the church. I called her early this morning, and she said that very statement to me. We're talking about the value of prayer. She said, Dan, I have lived my life believing that prayer changes things. How many of you can say amen to that today? And look how prayer completely turned this whole thing around for Hezekiah. I mean, the man is sick. He cries out to God, and before the prophet Isaiah can even leave the house, while he is exiting, God speaks again to Isaiah and says, go back in the house. Tell him, I heard his cry, and I'm going to heal him, and I'm going to add 15 years to his life. So obviously this is a miracle of healing for Hezekiah, and he's got 15 extra years that, he's, that he can work with now. However... We need to pay very careful attention to what happens right after the miracle took place. Extremely important, and this is the heart of our message to you today. When God does something for you, when you are asking Him for a miracle, when you are beseeching the throne of grace, making your petitions known, and God does it, what is it then that is the appropriate response of the believer at that point? Because Hezekiah had a job to do after God did his job of performing the miracle. And here's what happens. We need to know the rest of the story. One of the friends or the allies of Israel at this time is a country called Babylon. 
Now, we understand that almost 100 years later, Babylon will come in to destroy Jerusalem, to siege it, destroy it under Nebuchadnezzar. But at this time, it was an ally of Judah. So look at verse 12 with me. We're still in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 12. Soon after this, after what had taken place, Merodach, Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah his best wishes and a gift. For he had heard, this other king of Babylon, he'd heard that Hezekiah had been very sick. And look what happens now. Hezekiah received the Babylonian envoys and showed them everything his, his, in, in his treasure houses. He showed him his silver, the gold, the spices, the aromatic oils. He also took him to his gun room and showed him his armory and showed them everything in his royal treasuries. There was nothing in his palace or kingdom that Hezekiah didn't show these guys who had come to speak on behalf of the king of Babylon to wish him well and see how he was doing. I don't know about you, that seems a bit odd to me. Your buddy sends over his posse to check on you to see if you're okay, and you decide at that point to show all of these guys everything that you've got. You take them to you know, see all your guns, see, show them all your money, show them all your toys, instead of telling them what God had just done for him. He shows these messengers all the stuff he has. Instead of saying, you know what, guys? Yeah, you can look at this, you can look at that. Forget all this stuff. Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. And we need to remember why the king of Babylon had sent his envoy. He had heard Hezekiah was sick, and he wanted to see how he was. You would have thought this would have been the perfect opportunity to say, look what the Lord has done. You would have thought the hallelujah would still be ringing out in his soul. But instead of testifying to the miraculous work that has just taken place in his body, he boasts about his stuff and never even mentions God. Listen to me, church. There are miraculous things that have taken place in your life and in my life that the only way it could have happened was the Lord. The, the truth is, you and I have had plenty of opportunities to say, only the Lord could have done that. Only the Lord could have done that. Protection, provision, healing, all kinds of things. But Hezekiah shows to these messengers his stuff, and never once does he mention God. And then, let's go on in the story. Guess who shows up again? 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 14. Isaiah shows up again. Then Isaiah, the prophet, went to King Hezekiah and he said, uh, Hey, those guys that were here, what, what do they want? And where were they from? Hezekiah replied, uh, They came from the distant land of Babylon. Oh, I see. What did they see in your palace? Isaiah asked, oh, oh, they, they saw everything. Hezekiah replied, I, I showed them everything I own, all my royal treasuries. I got to show them all my stuff and all my toys, and man, were they impressed. I'm adding just a little bit here. Verse 16, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, okay, well then, there's another message from the Lord. Listen to this message from the Lord. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. 
So you realize what Isaiah just told him. He just said, all the stuff that you just showed them, all this stuff that you glory in, it's all going to be carried away one day. All the stuff that made you cool, all the stuff that you think made you who you are, all the stuff in which you found your identity, guess what? It's all going to be hauled off one day in a U-Haul. It's worded a little different than King James. And bam, let me tell you, Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, prove that 100 years later, that is exactly what happened. Nebuchadnezzar walks in there 100 years later, scoops it all up, destroys the temple, knocks down the walls, and brings all the stuff to Babylon, just like Isaiah the prophet said would happen. Verse 18. And some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile, Hezekiah. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. And and this next part, I I still can't believe it when I read it. I just can't believe it. Then Hezekiah said, after receiving this message, hearing all this stuff that's going to happen, he said this, "Um, this message you've given me from the Lord is good. Don't you read that and want to go, what? What are you thinking? And then he said this. But the king was thinking, the Bible says the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. What he's saying is this. All that stuff can happen as long as it doesn't happen to me. That's what he's saying. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I, I just, everything in me wants to scream out, man, did you forget What God just did for you? Did you forget he just healed you after you pled with him? That he heard your cry, he healed you, and he added 15 years to your life? And then I want to say, not only did you forget, did you even notice? And I think that's the message to you and me today. Are we even aware when God gives so lavishly to us? Are we even aware when he provides, when he protects, when he does all the things that he Are we even aware of it? Or do we live such entitled lives that we don't even see it, we're not even mindful of all that the Lord does? Basically, what's being said to Hezekiah is, man, God just gave you a miracle. A heathen who doesn't even know God sends his messengers, and here was your chance to testify to the supernatural power of God. Here's your chance to boast in the Lord, and you decide it's time to show him the toys. And then, when the prophet tells you what's going to happen to you as a result of your inappropriate response to God's miraculous work in your life, and you say, that's fine, as long as it doesn't happen to me, as long as it doesn't happen in my lifetime. Now, hang with me here. To further substantiate this path that Hezekiah is on, I want to take a quick look at one of those parallel passages I told you about, looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 32. We're going to look at this, and then we're going to wrap up with some final thoughts. 2 Chronicles 32, verse 24. About that time, this is just another parallel passage where the Bible is telling us this story again. It's, this is now shouting out your middle name, as it were. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. We'd read that. He prayed to the Lord, we know that, who healed him, we saw that, and gave him a miraculous sign of the, of the 15 extra years. But Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him, and he became proud. So that's, if you really want to dig underneath the surface to see what really happened here, 
That was the response of the king. He became proud. And so guess what? The Lord's anger came against him and against Judah and Jerusalem. The message says it this way in 2 Chronicles 32:25. But the sign that God gave him, instead of making Hezekiah grateful, it made him arrogant. So here's God giving Hezekiah this miracle, and, in, and in, instead of throwing his hands up in the air and saying, God did this, he's showing off all, showing off all the stuff that he has. Now, church, let me just say it to you this way. Most of us know what to do when we need a miracle from God. But what comes after the miracle is where we have the potential to fail. When God does his job, we also have a job to do. When God shows up and does the impossible, there's something that's waiting for you and me to do. And the next part is so very important, and it's simply this. When God does his part, we respond by doing exactly what is said in the song that my dad used to close as a pastor. Every service that I remember as a child, we used to get up and sing, we'll give the glory to Jesus and tell of his love and tell of his love. We'll give the glory to to Jesus and tell of his wonderful love. Every service of my childhood was closed like that. We are to give God all the glory for what he has done, for every single thing he has done in our lives. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let no man get the glory, not your stuff. Let nothing or no one but God gets all the glory. Are you with me today on that today? Because when God isn't praised, church, it's easy for our hearts to get proud and arrogant and even hardened and to erroneously think, oh, this has happened to me because it's, it's my education or it's, it's my workout regimen, it's my diet, it's because I, I, I drink that nasty green stuff that nobody else likes, I look like this, it's my money, it's because I don't eat Twinkies, it's because I work out. Can I just tell you something? You wouldn't even be able to walk to that gym if God didn't put the strength in your legs to get there. You couldn't even get there. Oh, it's my education and how studious I am. I want to just remind you, you couldn't even see through these eyes to read. If God didn't say to you today, I'm going to let you see through those eyes. I'm going to let you wake up another day. Can I just say to you also, you're, just, you're sitting here because of God and God alone. Gave you the ability to get here and that's it. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Hallelujah. I think it's time, church, for us to understand the value and the importance of us bringing our highest hallelujah before the Lord. And I hope before the service is over today that we have an absolute explosion of gratitude and a new level of understanding of how much God is doing in our lives and the miracles he performs for us day after day and that we will respond appropriately. <clears throat> for the last two to three years, I've been privileged to work with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir serving as an orchestrator on their recorded projects. Carol Simbola is the well-known and highly respected director of that choir. Probably that's the best-known gospel choir in the country today. She and her husband, Jim Simbola, pastor that fine church in Brooklyn. Last October, when I was with Ms. Carol and her team in the studio in Nashville, we were talking about this very idea of, of really giving God the praise and how the church today seems to be losing that ability to, with open heart, 
with a sense of absolute humility before the Lord, being so completely grateful for even the little things, not to mention the big things that he does. And we were speaking of how privileged that we are to be able to share the gospel through music. It's a lifetime calling. She told me that she has no intention of retiring. You know, Carol and the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir have received so many awards, double awards, Grammy awards, all kinds of awards. But she mentioned to me that she had just recently been honored with a special award there in, in New York City. And as she sat on the stage with the mayor of New York and the, the city council and the many dignitaries, there were others being honored at the same event for various accomplishments. And one by one, the recipients got up and they said, you know, I want to thank this person and, and I want to thank that person for helping me and I'm so glad that you know, they were good to me and allowed this. And, you know, and she said, here you are with the bigwigs of New York City, and she's in a very non-churchy, a very secular environment, and she's thinking, I, you know, I'm going to be honored here, and what do I say? What do I say in this environment? How, how do I do this? You know, do I talk about people and what they've meant to me, and do I, you know, do I mention all the brilliance of the arrangers and orchestrators? I said, yes, that's a very good idea. You should do that. <laughs> so now she's standing there, having been introduced to a rousing standing ovation. And all the others are standing behind her who have also received their accolades for whatever they were being honored for. And they've all said, you know, if it wasn't for you, Mayor, this couldn't have happened. If it wasn't for you, uh, Mr. Councilman, this couldn't have happened. And Carol told me, she, said, I, she stood right there and said, you know, folks, I just have to tell you the truth. I am not ashamed to say that it has all been Jesus who has allowed me to do everything that I have done. It's all been Jesus. He's the only one who's gotten me through all these years of ministry. And she said, and, and, and Dan, I tell you the truth, I was intentional about using the name of Jesus. I didn't stand there and say it's all been because of my higher power. I didn't say it's been because of the man upstairs. I didn't say some other politically correct phrase. She said, because it's the name above all names. It's the name above every other name. It's the name of Jesus that has gotten me to where I am today. So when someone asks you, how did this happen for you? How did you get through all of this? How did, how did this take place in your life? It doesn't matter before whom you stand. It doesn't matter how educated or sophisticated they are. It doesn't matter how powerful they are. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable you are in saying it. The thing you have to say, dear one, is it's the Lord Jesus who did this for me, and there is no other explanation. If you have been healed, it's because of Jesus. If you've been delivered, it's because of Jesus. If you've been protected, it's because of Jesus. If you've received provision is Jesus who has done all these things for me. Are you with me today at all on this? But sometimes we're afraid to do our part. We're intim we get intimidated in certain circumstances and we're, we're afraid to do our part. We like the miracle part. That works well for us. But, but, but we're not so sure we like the glory part. Even when we pray in our prayers, and sometimes, oh, we say this so wonderfully, and Lord, we'll be quick to give you all the glory and the praise. Sometimes we're not so quick to do that. We might have said that in the prayer when we were asking. But by the time we receive the miracle, we've forgotten all about that. And it's time for the church to get much more serious and emphatic about the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Once we receive a miracle or experience any measure of the supernatural work of Christ, church, we have to protect ourselves from this Hezekiah debauchery that can take place 
that is willing to receive from his hand but doesn't say anything about God. We're willing to take the the good stuff, but we say nothing in return for him for it. Think about this. If Hezekiah had told the messengers of the Babylonian king about the work of God in his life, who knows how that may have stopped the siege that was to take place decades later? Who knows that Hezekiah's failure to give God glory, the glory that was due him, but instead decided to show off his, his stuff? Inst- you know what happens when, when we decide to show off the stuff? The other person then has to show off their stuff. And everybody has to one-up you. How many know what I'm talking about? You show them your cool car, oh, they've got a cooler car. You show them, ladies, here's my grandbabies, well, then they're going to show you their grandbabies. <laughs> and they think theirs are cuter than yours, whether they say it or not, that's the way it is. You show them your new suit, they're going to show you their new designer, on, on and on and on it goes. And that's what man does. But no one can top what God does when he gets all the glory due his name. So if you ask me, how did you get to where you are? If I ask you, how did you get to where you are? It's because of Jesus. Amen to that. And now if you're uncomfortable with that, if for whatever reason you get in circumstances that I just don't know if I can say that, I'm just, you know, I'm not, I mean, this is my boss, these are my workmates, we don't talk about the Lord here. If you're uncomfortable with that, then say this to them, then perform a few miracles, create a few planets, heal a few bodies, and we'll give you some of the credit. But until you can die for me, until you can redeem me from my sins, until you can create something from nothing, until you can heal somebody, be resurrected from the dead, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. It's Jesus and nobody but Jesus. Whether you're the king of Babylon or the mayor of New York City. Here it is, it's Jesus. And church, we are called to do that. We are called to give him all of the honor, all of the glory, and all the praise. That is our job. Psalm 29.2 says this. I'm going to close in just a minute, maybe. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. In 1970, Apollo 13 was the seventh manned mission in the American Apollo Apollo space program and the third intended to land on the moon. The craft was launched on April 11th, some of you will remember, 1970 at 1.13 p.m. Central Standard Time from the Kennedy Space Center, Florida. But the lunar landing was aborted after an oxygen tank exploded two days later, crippling the service module upon which the command module depended. It was almost a total catastrophe. Some of you will remember Tom Hanks made a movie about it. The President of the United States got on national television and he asked our nation to pray for the safe return of the astronauts. And here's what happened. Despite great hardship caused by limited power, loss of cabin heat, shortage of potable water, and the critical need to jury-rig the carbon dioxide removal system, the capsule somehow, despite all of those things, landed in the Pacific Ocean, was put on an aircraft carrier, and the astronauts were miraculously saved when there was no way they should have made it back. But the crew returned safely to Earth on April 17th, and it was a miracle. Then the president, once again, stepped up to the microphone as the world watched. And he praised American space technology for the return of our astronauts. 
He asked for our prayers. And then he pulled a Hezekiah on us. And he showed off his stuff from NASA. He asked us to pray. And when God answered the prayer, the president praised human skill and technology. That is a Hezekiah. And a few years later, that president was shamefully kicked out of office. There's a message there. Don't play with God. Don't play with God. I don't know how to say it any plainer to you than this. If the glory belongs to him, give it to him. Give it to him. And figure out why you have been so reluctant to do do so. If the glory belongs to God, when you in your desperation are so ready to go before the Lord and say, oh God, I need this, I need this, this needs to happen. And then God does it. It's time to give him the praise. Pastor Brent, if you'll come. I'm going to take you back to that Jeremiah passage as we close. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. What's he saying? Saying, don't boast in your wisdom. Uh -uh. Don't boast in your strength. It's fleeting. Don't boast in your money. It could be gone before the end of next month. But if you're going to boast, then you had better boast in God. Now, we understand what this word boast means in today's understanding, and I'm certainly nowhere close to being a Hebrew scholar, but I've got helps that I can look at and see what it's saying in the Hebrew. And there are synonym phrases, or like phrases, for when it says, let him who boasts, boast that he knows and understands God. And I, you know, I, I want to know, what, what is the word boast? What's the Bible really saying, calling on us to do? you may not be comfortable with what the Bible really is saying when you dig into it and find out. But here, here's what it says. When you look at it, it really means this. To boast in the Lord means this. To make a fool of yourself. To act what could appear to others to be insane or crazy. To look like you're going crazy or mad. I, I'm just reporting to you here. That's what the word means. That's what it's saying to us. So people may look at you and go, how did this happen? You go, Jesus did it. And they say, are you out of your mind? The answer is yes. To you, my friend, it may look like I'm crazy. You may not understand why I'm reacting the way I am. But then you don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. If you really knew the bondage of my own soul, if you really knew the darkness of the path that I had walked, if you knew how close I was to utter destruction and everything about me utter destruction, if you really knew that, dear friend, and yet you know what Jesus has done for me, when you see the exuberance and the joy of when life has come in and taken over, light has taken over darkness, life has taken over death, 
when you've seen all of that and you've experienced it, don't be surprised at how I may look to you. It may look like anything. What does your cancer report say? It says the cancer is no longer there. Listen to me. Don't thank chemo. There's one who created your body, dear friend. He knows every cell. He knows how he knit you together in your mother's womb. It may seem crazy to others, but to you, if you've been delivered of cancer, you're going to be the one who stands and say, I give all the credit. I give all the glory. I give all the honor to the Lord Jesus. Thankful for those helps, but I give the glory to him. Let's stand together, church. My admonition to all of us today, including myself, let's not pull a Hezekiah. Let's understand how this thing works according to the Word of God. Let's not pull a Hezekiah. When God performs a miracle and we just sit there, put on a little religious something, makes us look comfortable. But I'm just saying this, if you can identify something the Lord has done for you, you should probably be the craziest person in this place this morning. Hallelujah. But see, you're, you may be doing like some of us often do. You're saying, but everything's not perfect in my life. Can I tell you, none of us are living in perfect circumstances. Not one of us. You want to compare stories today? No. We've all got stuff that's going on that we're trying to deal with in the process. And if you're waiting for perfect to happen, not going to happen until you get to glory. But that doesn't stop you from saying, but the Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in my eyes. And here's the amazing thing about God. He reigns on the just and the unjust. If you're a believer and God has given you a miracle, then God deserves all your praise. And it ought to be crazy praise. If you're not a Christian, guess what? You still get miracles. God still works in your life. You're just not aware of it. But your response ought to be this. If maybe today you've heard me say something that triggered in your mind, you know what, God, actually God did do something for me. Then your response ought, ought, ought to be this, oh my goodness, you are alive. You are real. And so here's my life. I'm going to turn my life over to you. When God does his job, church, we've got to be prepared to do our job. And we need to begin this morning to declare how great our God is. And I'm going to do something before we close this service today. In just a moment as a group together, corporately, as a group in a corporate worship session here, service today, we're going to recognize that we are standing before a holy God, the one who rules the universe, the one who holds all power in his hand, the one who can perform miracles and has performed miracles for each one of us. And we're going to lift our voice as the prayer team comes quickly to take their place. We're going to begin to lift our voice and then we're going to lift our hands and together we're going to bring our highest hallelujah. We're going to bring our highest boasting in God. Now before we do that, I want to talk about this thing about lifting hands because I know, I hear from you. We've got people here who just say, yeah, I'm just not comfortable with that. I didn't grow up. To, yeah, it doesn't matter how you grew up. It doesn't matter. What matters is what the Word of God says. Lift up holy hands to Him. I grew up with all kinds of strange things in my Pentecostal past that I've had to let go to, okay? A lot of it. So some of you are at level one with the lifting of the hands. You're right here. This is level one. And if you've been at level zero until now, this is good. This is really good. You go ahead and move on up to level one. I've noticed some of you are at level two. You can take it from here and you've got it here, level two. 
This is lifted hands for you. And that's fine. Some of you have advanced to level three, which is this. Okay, level three. And then there are some of us who are at level four. Hands all the way up. Voice all the way up. Nothing held back at all saying, Jesus, you and you alone deserve all the glory. You deserve all the honor. And we lift our hands to bless your holy name. So, before you leave this house, don't you dare walk out yet. I've got ushers at the door locking it. If you leave. I plan this, folks. I'm a planner. I'm going to help you with something else. If you were at one, you're going to go to two. If you're at two, you're going to go to three. Three, Or you may just decide, I'm going to go all the way to four today. That's fine. Now, you're going to say, but, but what do I say? What am I, you know, there's people listening. What do I say? Well, let me help you with that. Here's some suggestions. What really needs to happen is you need to say what your own heart is, is saying today as you are thinking about the Lord and all He's done for you. Here's some suggestions. How about... Hallelujah. How about, yay, God? How about all glory to you? How about, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for saving me. Or, you know what, God, there's nobody like you. Nobody can do what you can do. Come on, church, I'm telling you, it's time for this roof to get lifted about three feet this morning. Whether you're at level one, two, three, four, or if you've gone to create a new level, let's lift our hands and let's bring our highest hallelujah. Come on, right now.